Hello, and welcome to Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast, where we take a meaningful look at the dynamics of domestic violence and how trauma-informed, inclusive advocacy can make a difference. And the opinions on this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent the opinion of Branches. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Root for Each Other. I am Sarah Blevins, and I am so happy to be here today with a couple of guests to talk about uh, the importance of an adult mentor for LGBTQ plus youth, uh, especially during Pride Month, but um, all year long. Uh, Today with me, I have my very good friend, Sarah Fincham. She is the um, state leader of the West Virginia chapter for Free Mom Hugs. And she is the stalking resource and campus coordinator for Frizz, which is the State Sexual Assault Coalition. Uh, thanks so much for being here, Sarah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We also have with us today Allie Lehman. She is a founding member and the president of Huntington Pride. And of course, she is a uh, one of my wonderful and talented colleagues at Branches. So thank you, Allie, for being with us today. Absolutely. So happy to be here. Can you start off a little bit by just why do you think it's important for young people to have an adult mentor in their lives? Yeah, so for me, when I really think through, you know, the, the big scope of things. And so when we look at what shapes people, we're each influenced by our relationships and we exist within larger communities and a shared society. All of those things impact us. You know, the things going on at a national and international level, the things going on within our own communities, the things going on within our own relationships all impact us individually. And so that's a lot. Um, That's a lot of stuff. And especially when we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community, you know, LGBTQ plus folks um, can be adversely affected by things like those personal or relationship things like non-affirming parents, peers, or extended families, but also those community things like places of worship or places of education. Maybe they don't feel safe at school. Um, Other things going on in their communities, um, state law, federal law, policies, the list goes on and on. And so when we look at really, when you think about all of those things, all of those things combined can have such an impact on folks. Um, and I was looking at a report earlier, actually, from Mental Health America that said the LGBTQ plus teens who live in states with homophobic or transphobic policies are more likely to attempt suicide. And so what we know, though, is that just one supportive adult in an LGBTQ plus person's life decreases the risk of suicide by over 40 percent. Um, and that's just when we're talking about LGBTQ plus issues, right? But when we look at the bigger picture of of other public health issues, they share that similar protective factor of community connectedness, of um, having that safe adult to go to. And so that's why I think it's so important. It might not seem like a big deal, but but it can have such a big impact. I really love the term community connectedness. I think that's something that we undervalue sometimes or that we don't understand its total effect. And um, Allie, one thing that I have learned from just working with you with Huntington Pride is that um, sort of the atmosphere of community connectedness that you have built in uh, within the LGBTQ plus community, but also just in, in Huntington in general at large, I guess, if you want to say it that way, it has really changed the way I view things. Do you see that working, you know, um, within your communities, Allie? Absolutely. I mean, Huntington Pride didn't exist um, until 2018. For a lot of people within the Huntington area, they didn't have 
a source of, you know, a festival or activities in Huntington, you know, we'd have to go to Charleston or Cincinnati or Columbus or Lexington to get that sense of community. So, you know, when the five or six of us came together to form Huntington Pride, and then, you know, a few years later, I've been with branches for almost two years now, building that partnership and, you know, saying like, having those lunch discussions, which bring forth activities or resource guides or you know we put together west virginia's first lgbtq young adult resource event which has never happened in the state before so you know things have just grown and evolved over the last couple years and i think the youth is being impacted by that we have received more messages you know from parents this past weekend we received a message from a parent thanking us for having the picnic at the park And just, you know, them seeing activities like this happening and having a positive impact on their kid was just awesome. What I really like about both of, like, just about this conversation is the intentionality of it, is that community connectedness happens when we build it into what we value in our community. And I I think that you brought up the United for Love event, which was that event that you were talking about that was the first uh, LGBTQ plus youth resource event. That's exactly the kind of thing that can happen to create that sense of community connectedness uh, for young people. Sometimes I get a little uh, torn up because I feel like I don't really connect or relate as much. And so I don't know what is needed. And I think that's why it's like really vital to make sure that we're including young people's voices in what they need. We, we can't just assume that we know what they need. Absolutely. They're the future. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're in different things that we do. We say we want to bust down the door so they can just walk right through. And I mean, the door was being, you know, torn down for us and, and it has been for generations. So we're just continuing the process of that to to lay the groundwork for even the next generation of LGBTQ people. And Sarah, just to to bring it back around to what you were saying, that idea of that intentionality and that community connectedness that we're we're building, that is a direct um, suicide prevention tactic. And I think it's really important to remember that for all of us as we're doing the work that we do in our communities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we think about all the issues that we're up against, it can be really overwhelming to think about how do we end violence? You know, um, how do we solve issues around mental health? And it can be hard to think about what can I do? What can I as one person do to make a difference? Um, But like you said, being that one supportive adult is suicide prevention. And so I tend to think of it as um, the way I try to explain it to folks is building tunnels where there are mountains or doors where there are walls. Um, so just what little path can we, can we build, um, can we create to, to do that, to be somebody's uh, lifeline? Oh, I love that. I think that's a great metaphor. One thing I, I will say, you know, when we were initially having some conversations about uh, the shape of this podcast, you said something that really stuck with me. You said it's definitely a public health issue and COVID is getting a lot of attention right now, as it should, but um, homophobia and xenophobia are public health issues that have not gone away. And I think that we really need to think about that. Those things are ongoing. It turns out, unfortunately, we can have simultaneous crises in our society. Um, and and I like that point of like, hey, like it's not going away. And so the work can't stop. Absolutely. I think that 
we as a society, we've come a long way, but we still have miles and miles to go. And the more visibility and representation that we have of all types of minority groups and the more positive representation and positive feedback for the future to see um, that, you know, they as a, as anybody in a community can step up and, and, you know, kind of pass that torch to, um, to continue, you know, tearing down those walls and, and, and being visible to, to everybody. You know, we are here. We're just a part of the, of the community as anybody else. You know, I think something to consider as we're thinking about those uh, public health issues that are simultaneously occurring is this idea that uh, trauma is playing a part in that. And, you know, as a domestic violence agency, as a sexual assault coalition, I'm sure that we are very familiar with the dramatic impact that trauma can have on the way that people behave and the way that they respond. And I think that we have to be aware that that is creating a different barrier for folks. I also think that a lot of people in the LGBTQ community, and I'll speak for myself, don't know what trauma is. Um, they don't know that they're experiencing trauma. They, you know, were just kind of like bashed and uh, spat at or been talked about on the internet. You know, we see posts or we see legislation and it's just all this negative and it's just kind of like we are kind of taught to just like let it go, you know, just kind of ignore it. But, you know, you're experiencing trauma, you don't realize it. I didn't realize that I had gone through trauma until started, starting to work at branches and learning what trauma was. <laughs> so, you know, and having, and from that, you know, we have more and more conversations within the community. Um, and we need to get those resources out there. We need to, you know, inform people what trauma is and that they do have positive people that they can talk to to work through different issues and different things that happen throughout life. I was just going to echo what Ali said and, and go back to your comment about um, simultaneous public health issues. And so I think we can compare and say that things like racism and homophobia, they're their own type of virus, right? You know, yes. they, they impact people um, physically, mentally, all of those ways. And like Ali said, helping folks understand that, that if somebody... Um, says, you know, reinforces a stereotype, that's traumatic. You know, it doesn't always have to be these big, these big things, but if somebody re reinforces a stereotype or makes a homophobic joke, um, and then it goes all the way up to, you know, when state laws are trying to erase your existence. Um, but yeah, so understanding sort of that spectrum of trauma and connecting folks to resources. And that's what I loved so much about Free Mom Hugs, um, just because, you know, they have this feel-good mission of empowering the world to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community, but they also had a mission beyond the hug. And one of the things that they do beyond the hug um, is, you know, centering mental health um, and things like that. And so that's why I think I was so drawn to be a part of this organization. I love oh, I that, beyond the hug. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm so glad that you're sharing that. I, I didn't know that. And I think that that is so cool because I was just about to say, I think it can be really overwhelming if you are sort of stuck in the mire to think about like, okay, well, if a lot of people don't know what trauma is and a lot of people don't know that they're experiencing, imagine how compounded that is for young people when this is like their, their early experiences of the world and of um, the way that they're being treated. And so I think that having a mission that supports 
some type of intervention for that, some type of um, response to helping young people overcome undoubtedly traumatic experiences is, is just incredibly cool. Kudos to you for doing what you do. For sure. Well, thank you. Well, and it's a twofold issue, right, too, because there are all these things that LGBTQ plus folks experience that might lead to them having mental health issues, but then they also, you know, sometimes when they're trying to get help for those mental health issues, face discrimination in the medical, in those systems as well. So it's hitting from both ends. Um, so the more work we can do around that, the better. Absolutely. I think that was a real motivator for why Allie, Shannon, and I initially had our conversation about creating a resource guide in Cabell County because we saw that there was so many folks saying, hey, like, I'm not getting access to the help I need. I'm not, I'm, I'm being, and also sometimes just afraid to reach out for help because of the way they might be treated. And they were like reaching out to like either our Huntington Pride Facebook page or they're reaching out to me personally. And I was having to kind of like, research that I don't want to give anybody any information and send them into, you know, any bad situation, you know, or if they're going to be turned away or refuse service. So it's super helpful to have that where we've gone through and embedded and I send that resource guide out every other day, probably to different people from, you know, Hey, I've gotten fired from my job. Is there any legal help that I can get? Or, Hey, we're trying to have a baby and we want to, we want to know where we can go, all kinds of different resources. And it's great to have that. And it's already vetted and prepared for the community. It is so great to have that, Allie. And just to share an example of how, of why it's so important and how it has been helpful just to us in West Virginia with free mom hugs. That's sort of where we can fit into the big picture of what's happening in the state because we're not a crisis helpline. You know, we're not a crisis center, but we can connect folks to resources. And so it reminds me of um, somebody who reached out a while back and said that they had come out and their parents' reaction um, was to disown them. And so this particular person was needing help with housing and food and mental health. But because we did know the resources that existed because of work like um, you guys are doing at Branches and Huntington Pride, we were able to connect that person with the help that they needed and they're doing okay now. And so it, it is just so important to have all those resources, um, especially in one place. For sure. I mean, we get, I, I've received calls from Canal County. You know, there's a, an event going on this weekend. Um, it's called the Rainbow Formal. It is a prom. It's a positive prom experience for LGBTQ high school students. And there was a teacher from Canal County that one of their students needed a binder and there was not and is not an inclusive closet in Charleston. So they drove down to Huntington to get a binder for a student that's going to come down to Huntington for the event this weekend. So, you know, we want to make sure that those resources are available for anybody and that they're out there. And also to, you know, I know Sarah and, and I and Shannon, we all talk about like, we want to share our knowledge of how we put that together and we our hope is that other prior organizations or other organizations throughout the state will do those networking and create these resource guides or collective information for other counties lgbtq people are all over the state they're all we're everywhere throughout the you know what i mean like and those resources just don't exist anywhere else that they're on one platform it's awesome and you know me and my Huntington Pride hat is very thankful for branches and, you know, the stop team that we can partner together to have those available.
cool to our whole community and even our up and coming, our young people to see, you know, like we, those resources are out there. We have people who care, you know, we're seen, we're heard and people are there for us. I really, really love what you're saying with that because, uh, well, just to be honest, I'm really excited about the Rainbow Formal, uh, which at the time of this recording is coming up this weekend. I think by the time that we post, um, it will be over and it will be uh, a wonderful, great event that we can be celebrating at that point. But one of the things I was thinking about is that, you know, I think about the word like collaboration and, and everyone who has ever worked with me, sorry, Allie, has heard me say this at least once, which is that like, when you have multi-tiered problems, you have to have multi-tiered solutions. And so I love that we have the resource guide available. I love that we have done a little bit of that legwork, but I'm also like, you know, I come from a background of working with what would be called like at-risk students. I don't really love the word at-risk, but just students in general that um, are typically lower income. And uh, it just so happens. I, I don't know why. It's like they find me. I have worked with a lot of kids in the LGBTQ plus community throughout that. And what I find is that it takes a combination of approaches. So they need to know, they need to have somebody that knows the resources, knows where they can get their help. But they also need somebody that is just going to listen to them. And I, th I think that's really just a powerful tool that if you want to help someone, if you want to be a, a, an adult mentor for a kid, that ability to just listen and specifically I think and I don't want to speak out of turn so please please like you know at me if, <laughs> if I'm saying something wrong but what I have found especially with kids who are navigating their journey in the LGBTQ plus community is that they need like sort of to be allowed to grow like all kids need to be allowed to grow and so I'm, I'm thinking of this one time in particular I was I was working with a kid and they said, like, the first time they talked to me about it, they said, hey, I think that I want to use, uh, I don't always want to use her pronouns. And, but I don't know if that's okay, because I don't know what I really am. And so I think that if you can adopt this practice of radical acceptance, just like, hey, this is okay for where you are right now. Maybe that'll change tomorrow. Maybe that'll change next year. It doesn't matter where you are right now is okay. And I, I think that kids need to know that it's okay to go through their journey does that make sense yeah for sure well and also on the flip side of that for parents you know what i mean to have that listening and and you know knowing that they also have resources that are out there the trevor project is a great resource for parents and for teens you can google it it's just at the trevor project they literally have a coming out handbook for LGBTQ young people. I'm sure that, you know, that parents could look at that and kind of like help them, you know, if, they're young, if their, their child is experiencing, you know, questions or have questions. And, and, you know, it's great to have that parent that is going to listen. And sometimes that doesn't, that doesn't always happen. And it is what it is. But there are adults out there that, you know, the kids can go talk to. Uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters is starting that new LGBTQ uh, mentor group. I think that's great. And I wish all these things were happening when I was younger, but I'm glad that they're happening now. You know, I know things take time and I'm just glad that those resources groups and, you know, like the Trevor project is out there for, for kids and for adults. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, that applying some of the same concepts that we use in our work and not to simplify what we do in the domestic violence or sexual violence field, but meeting folks where they are, is really really important and so when we're working with folks in our you know in our professional settings it's 
it's knowing that everybody's going to come with a different background, a different circumstance, and they're going to need different resources and different kinds of help. And just applying that, the same thing to LGBTQ plus kids and parents is just meeting them where they are and, you know, responding in that equitable way. Oh, Sarah, can you just preach? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I really just want to like reiterate what you're saying. I, I think that folks that are advocates in the domestic violence and sexual assault field are actually very well suited. They have a lot of the skills that you need to um, embrace like anti-racism and working with like inclusive environments. We have a lot of those skills that are necessary for that. And we should a hundred percent be putting them to more good use in my opinion. Absolutely. Because, because oppression is a, is a direct root cause of sexual violence, domestic violence. And so they intertwine so personally. Absolutely. Sarah. Sarah, one thing that I noticed about free mom hugs is that you guys are everywhere. You are like, so incredibly visible, so incredibly present. Uh, why do you think that's important for the work that you're doing? It is so important. It's also part of part of our mission, you know, empowering the world through uh, visibility, education, and conversation. And so it is just so important that folks know that there are some affirming folks out there, um, that folks know that uh, there is a support system available um, for them. I'm so happy to hear you say that because when I when I stepped into the role of state leader of Free Mom Hugs here in West Virginia, we were and nearly two years were an organization of one here in the state, which was myself. <laughs> and so it was it was hard to to do those things, but we just onboarded two new folks to help us do exactly what you said: be more places, be more visible, and, and so we hope to to be at even more things to to give hugs to the folks who need it the most. That is so cool! That, congratulations on your growth. That's incredible. Thank you. So one question that I have, it, because I've received phone calls, you know, when we're planning these events, I have parents that are like, "Hey, we saw that you're doing a picnic in the park, and we want to come give hugs." And I'm like, okay, awesome. You know, I'm like, do you guys know Sarah? She's great. And I've literally had a mom from Ohio call me, talk to me about giving hugs. I've given Sarah's information. So if people are wanting to, you know, be a part of Free Mom Hugs, like how would they do that? What would they do? You know, would they reach out to you? Is there a website? Yeah, so Free Mom Hugs is a national nonprofit. So the national organization, you can learn more at freemomhugs.org. But we also have state chapters in um, chapters in every state. So if if they were interested in just joining the West Virginia chapter, we have a Facebook page, or you can also go on the national website and it, there's a link that says find a chapter. That's probably the easiest way. Just go find your chapter and get involved. The more, the merrier. I hope we get lots of folks <laughs> interested. For sure. I know like with every event that we do for teens that their parents may be not so accepting um, and even for, you know, people within the community that aren't necessarily teens when they see somebody with that with that free hug shirt and even even dads, there are dad hugs. You know what I mean? Like everybody's welcome to give those hugs. But, you know, that is such a heartwarming thing to happen at, at any type of event that we do to, to see people throughout the community, whether they're even a, a pastor Jackie, she's got her, her pastor hug shirt. And it's great just to see our allies or people within the community out there of uh, spreading love and positivity. And, you know, some of us are huggers, some aren't when that's okay too. Um, and that's directed at Sarah uh, Blevins, but, <laughs> but it's great to have in the community, you know, everybody needs a hug and, and, that can 
affect people greatly for a while. You know, just that one accepting embrace. I was about to make a joke that um, I am not a hugger, as is famous in the branches community. <laughs> but um, even I have to admit that those moments that you see folks hugging people at the Pride events are the truly just heartwarming and moving. And um, just, just you're doing incredible work. We're, we're super proud of you. Proud to know you. Well, thank you. And if I may share a story, um, the first time, my first event as uh, chapter leader of Free Mom Hugs West Virginia, uh, I set up a table and I really did not know the impact that it would have. I just had a little table and I had some, probably some stickers or something. And I had a young lady come up to me and she just started crying. Um, and she just said, I wish my own mom would. And that's all she got out. Um, and then she excused herself. And when she came back, she just talked about that, about how, you know, the relationship that she was having with her mom at the time. And so I wasn't prepared <laughs> for, to yeah. have that sort of impact. Um, but I'm glad to be there for folks uh, and to help them try to navigate those sort of situations. The concept of rejection of family is so unbelievably painful and sees, see, seems to have such a long lasting scar that comes with it. I, I think that anything that we can do to heal that, anything that we can do to create connection and build families amongst our communities is a positive response to that kind of pain. I think sometimes the situations that we've been in, I mean, I speak for myself and in, in my past that that has pushed me to be um, who I am today, being bullied in school, being, you know, spat at in public, had things thrown at me, had glasses of water and ice thrown at me, bottles thrown at me I mean that's like in the 90s early 2000s you know I had I would never have thought myself to be a community leader or an advocate for our community but you know things happen and 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 taking that and turning it to the positive and and trying to you know help with the resources or help create these events and help make a a positive future for the next generation and I hope that that continues. It seems like that we have talked a little bit here about like okay we know that the barriers for LGBTQ plus folks are higher but now what? What is you know we're, we're all a strengths-based approach kind of people around here so it's like what are those next steps and I think that's a really good place for us to think about what prevention looks like. So the way I look at it is that statistics are just a starting point right? They ground what we do in evidence, but we can't stop there. They're, they're a starting point. And so really just taking the opportunity that statistics give us to create conversations and help solve some of those issues and do things like, you know, humanize the issue by, by telling stories, you know, providing the awareness and yes, ultimately to, to do prevention work as well. And so think of prevention as um, those relationship level things like mentoring programs like Allie mentioned or being that safe adult but also those community level things like how can we help schools be a safer place you know how do we engage in other ways um, around policy and those sort of things and so just working at it as you mentioned earlier Sarah it's a it's a continuum it's that spectrum it's that comprehensive um, all coming at it from all sides. Mm -hmm. I like to think about prevention too, as um, you know, there's that first, there's those sort of immediate things that need to happen when you're doing prevention work, which is like the programmatic pieces, those things that you're talking about. And then there's like a second phase of prevention. that's like, 
you know, maybe you have your programs out there and they're doing great. And then now you start moving into like how to integrate them into every sector of the community. But then the, this phase that I really love that I'm really passionate about is that cultural change phase. And that's when you, and it's the slowest and the worst, and it takes so much longer than you ever want it to, but it's when you start helping people to understand how everything's connected. For me, I, I think really, I was thinking about this earlier, like, what am I going to say about this? And um, what I was thinking about it is that I think it has a lot to do with value shifting and changing our perspective of our values. So like, I want folks to get to the place where we have changed culturally to the point that we, we are not just thinking about like, okay, like, how can we make things safer, which obviously we always should be, but also like, how can we value and celebrate the lived experience contributions of folks in the LGBTQ plus community, because they are bringing contributions and valuable experience to the table every single day. And, and I, I hope, and I'm working toward a day that we can get folks to um, have that cultural shift. Also, it is the beginning of Pride Month, what is today's the 8th. So, you know, on the 1st, when there were everybody's on my Facebook feeds, like, happy Pride, you know, it's awesome to see that. And then you read the comments. And the comments <laughs> are like, comments? well, you know, sometimes it's it's learning experience sometimes. But people are like, why are you, why is there a Pride Month? isn't everybody equal you know what what is there why is there a reason to, to do this and i don't really think that people understand that no we're not equal and we're not equal under federal law we're not equal under state law there's only 15 cities in west virginia that have lgbtq protections when it comes to evictions being fired and being refused service and i don't think a lot of people like really know that even with trying to change things we're still fighting for equality so several years ago we did a campus climate survey with our campuses and what we learned was no surprise that our lgbtq plus students face the highest rates of harassment on campus what we also learned um, in regard to bystander intervention was that our students didn't feel like they had the skills necessary to interrupt some of the things that they wanted to. Um, so, for example, the behaviors that we might label as higher risk, they said they got lots of information about that and they felt like they had the skills and the confidence to interrupt those things. But when somebody made a racist remark or a homophobic remark, they weren't sure what to do. And so, you know, doing work about those things, um, about how, how do you interrupt oppression when you see it? Um, those types of things are important. And then, you know, other things we do be beyond the hug at Free Mom Hugs is we help to ban conversion therapy and end workplace discrimination. And sometimes, like Gally said, that happens one city at a time. And that's what's happening right now in West Virginia. But some cities are, are getting there. You both are doing incredible work in your community. Is there anything that you would like to share about the work that keeps you going? So I think for me, it's it's really just having that rural perspective of growing up in a rural place and then thinking about all the things that could have been helpful at the time when I was growing up and trying to ensure that those kids growing up in those rural places don't have to have those same feelings or those same thoughts. And I'm actually really excited to see there are a lot of rural prides popping up um, in West Virginia lately. So in the coming weeks, Free Mom Hugs will be at Prides in Philippi, Elkins, and in Taylor County. Um, and that's huge for those kids in those rural places. And so 
I just really, it's personal experience, really. It's just, you know, it's all the kids that, that have ever needed my couch to sleep on. You know, it's, it's all the stories that I hear and it's, I'm a mom myself. And so it's knowing that my own three kids are still growing and figuring out who they are and just making sure that, that I do provide that unconditional, um, that they understand what unconditional love is and they don't have to ever feel like I'm going to love them any less. And so those are kind of the things that keep me going. For me, I, I just, I feel like the more I learn, the more I grow myself personally as a human. Like I said, I never saw myself in a leadership type position at all. If somebody would have told me that 15 years ago, I would have laughed at them. The more growth, the more that you learn. I feel like, you know, our community has been silenced and continues to try to be silenced. And then the louder we get, uh, the more connections we make the more networking happens, the more conversations that domino into a resource guide, a youth event, a bigger festival, more resources, more education being put out there with HIV and PrEP, more talks on sex education, getting tested, knowing your status. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a constant evolution I feel personally just within myself learning more about our community learning more about Huntington and the people within our community that are allies and creating those partnerships is just going to keep moving forward. And I can't wait to pass the torch to the next generation and see what doors they knock down or create. Yeah. And I want to add to my answer because I just remembered something Ali said. (laughs) So when I think about also what keeps me going, reading the comments. Reading the comments keep me going. And also just making sure that folks feel comfortable enough to bring their whole selves into any space. Because I just remembered when I was working at a, you know, I was on a college campus once and I had this student of color who also identified in the LGBTQ plus community come up to me and she said, our school has a black student union and they have an LGBTQ plus center, but the black student union doesn't really touch on LGBTQ plus issues. And the LGBTQ plus center doesn't really touch on issues that affect people of color. So I feel like each day I have to get up and choose which part of me is more important that day. I don't want folks to have to choose, you know, making sure folks can bring their whole self into any space. I have heard that exact sentiment from so many people. I have heard so many people say to me, I have to choose who I'm going to be or what I'm going to prioritize today about myself. And I think that's such a great point is that we, we have got to build better spaces where people can be their whole authentic selves. Thanks again, both of you, for being here to chat with me today. Obviously, one thing that keeps me going is that all of this work is connected to the domestic violence work that we do at Branches and allowing people to be their full authentic selves, helping students, young people grow into their full authentic selves is also relationship violence prevention. And so that keeps me going every day. Thank you to all of our listeners who have stuck with us today. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. But most of all, I hope that you go out and root for each other. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this very special episode of Root for Each Other. We are Branches Domestic Violence Shelter, and we've been serving the communities of Cabell, Wayne, Lincoln, Mason, and Putnam counties for 41 years. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the Branches Hotline 24-7 at 304-529-2382. And hey, Sarah, guess what? 
What? Branches is proud to serve all. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Thanks, everybody. Go out and root for each other.